Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this on a Wednesday afternoon. Old friend Wes Goldberg is here. Wes, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, when's the next piece coming up on the Substack? Uh, so the Substack is laying dormant for mm. a little while right now. There's uh, some irons in the fire. As okay. they say, some new projects going on, um, TBD on that stuff. But uh, yeah, no, no immediate plans for the Substack. Got some other things going on. I was gonna say because like the I, it was one of my favorites, and uh, the Max Truce piece was really really fun. Um, I really liked learning about Max, and thought you did a really good job with that one. So uh, I had to ask because I noticed it's been like a month since the last one. So I was like, hey, when's uh, Wes yeah. gonna? start writing again when when's the when's the article coming out yeah it's it's been sort of a bridge to some other things that was sort of always the intent with it um Mm. and so um i've been working just with some other outlets and things like that to try to get it out there on something that's not Substack. um i never liked the idea of a paywall in the first place and Mm. um i just believe that people should be able to consume your product um and so yeah i don't know i just uh we'll see though it won't be the last Substack article but there's some other things that are going to be coming out in other places okay there you go very uh very uh kind of hey we're what's the word i'm looking for very coy. Um, say it again coy maybe coy maybe yeah maybe it's close coy. to the vest yeah uh, i like it i like yeah. it um well i'm sure it will be great whatever it is wes um we want to start here uh, with the Nets because Karen Durant and uh, the boardroom and Brooklyn uh, unanimously are they came to the table and both of their logos are on the the, the official notes app statement that uh, things are good and that Kevin Durant and uh, his uh, Rich Kleiman and uh, Joe Sy and Sean Marks and Steve Nash all got together and they're going to now do uh, this thing ostensibly um, for the 2022-2023 NBA season. Um, what was your first reaction when you saw that it was actually like, okay, Kevin Durant is staying for at least one more year in Brooklyn? Thank God that it's over. You know, that was sort of my first response was, all right, cool. This is sort of headed where everybody thought it was going to end up going because there's just no trade out there. If there had been a trade out there that made any kind of sense, um you know, it probably would have had already been done. And it was so interesting. One of the things I kept wondering is, all right, all right, Kevin Durant demands a trade a couple months ago. You're going to get a flood of offers. Every team is going to call, hey, what is it going to cost for Kevin Durant? And we all heard the reports that Brooklyn was asking for some crazy amount of assets back and, and you know, blue chip young players and, and all-stars and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, maybe that happens, but maybe not. And I think within the first couple of weeks, every like Brooklyn got the offers and they kind of mm-hmm. knew what it was going to be. And all this stuff about hey, Memphis is now in the mix and Boston and all that kind of stuff just felt to me more like reporting late on things that had happened, you know, early in the much earlier in the process and the reporting came out. But, um, you know, I, I just I was just waiting for something to just sort of shake the environment a little bit, something to just you know, cause some ripples and, and force somebody's hand, whether it be Brooklyn or another team to offer more. Maybe there's another player on another team that demands to be traded or something like that. And then that player can get traded to Brooklyn, like whatever it was. And that thing just never happened. And then you have Kevin Durant meeting with Joe Sy in London, trying to force that 
thing to occur, trying to force that ripple effect, trying to shake up the environment himself by demanding Steve Nash and Sean Marks to be fired if he were not traded. And Joe Sy called his bluff and he was like, you know what, that's not going to do it. And the environment was not shaken. And ultimately, we just ended up back to where we were two months ago, which was Kevin Durant is still on the Brooklyn Nets. It's just a little bit more awkward now. But um, these are all competitors. They're all big boys. They're going to get over it. And they're going to try to, I think, make the most of this season. But that was sort of my first response was, yeah, okay, nothing really changed. Finally, we're done with this. It's also just... I, I would love to be on the final wall for that conversation. Like the first time Kevin sees Sean and Steve after that getting out, like, because if you're Sean and Steve, you have to like, that's a level of professionalism and just <laughs> le- leaving your pride at the door that I think would uh, be, f- be mighty difficult for a lot of folks yeah. to just be like, yeah, we'll welcome this guy back in after he tried to get me fired. Like that's, I just I can only imagine how difficult of a situation that is. And like, did Kevin apologize? Like, I'm sure that was probably not there. And like you said, it's like the competitor, uh, the competitive part of all of this is that like, do they just all chalk it up to the game of like, hey, right. Kevin, we get it. It was a leverage pull and you were saying like, hey, we wanted to. But at the same time, I just I don't know what you say to like fix this. And it, it the Nets are going to be like a. Uh, they're a team that we're just going to look at. And I think it's an exercise in like how much does chemistry actually matter Mm -hmm. in the NBA is what we're about to find out in Brooklyn this year. Right. I mean, yes. Number one. Um, And the fact that Kevin Durant has always wanted to play with Kyrie Irving and that Kyrie will, I think be playing more games than he did last year until he finds a new reason to not play basketball. But um, so the fact that they want to play together helps the chemistry just because they're that those are the two best players on the team. Um, So maybe that's there. Uh, I don't know if it becomes sort of like a common enemy thing. Can that work if if it's like sort of KD and Kyrie versus management? Uh, We've seen that kind of work in the past where like the Kobe Shaq dynamic um, and and things like that. I don't know. Um, You mentioned whether or not Kevin Durant is going to apologize or what that having covered KD a little bit when he was with Golden State. Like that's not somebody who says sorry. Right. I don't see that happening. Um, and Steve Nash is kind was kind of hired and people thought that, OK, he comes from like that Steve Kerr coaching tree a little bit, um, like kind of a West Coast guy, given where he spent most of his career. Like maybe he's a little bit more chill, but this is a guy who won two MVPs. Like that's not a dude who's just a pushover. Right. You don't win two MVPs and get to where he was as a Hall of Famer by being sort of just chill and pushover that that dude's a competitive MFer, mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe the way to do it is to approach KD and be like and then just have it out a little Mm. bit right like the way that Draymond Green would approach KD and have it out with him in Golden State and obviously that ended up pushing Kevin Durant at least somewhat was a factor out out of you know out of Golden State and towards Brooklyn but at least for a year is that would that be enough I just wonder what the common enemy is going to be and I and I kind of just see it already Mm. how are they going to turn this into a media thing, like some sort of contrived media narrative? I'm just waiting for that to happen where uh, you mentioned being like a fly on the wall for it. I just I, I'm thinking about flying up to Brooklyn for media day because I can't wait for that, dude. That is going to be crazy. Steve Nash, how do you feel about coaching a player who demanded you to be fired? What does mm-hmm. Steve Nash say to that? Kevin Durant, when he has to answer media day questions, if, by the way, the Brooklyn Nets PR thing team uh, make him answer the questions because I was going to say, Kevin didn't Durant. the Knicks just do the whole Jalen Brunson introduction with nobody, no media present? Yeah, and that's a bad path to go down. Yeah. But the, I, 
I, I can't imagine doing it for media day because it's one thing for an introductory press conference. It's another thing to not allow media to talk to the players on a day made for media. Mm-hmm. Seems a little wild to me, <laughs> but uh, I don't. Kevin Durant's going to be asked these questions. Kyrie's going to be asked these questions. Steve Nash is going to be asked these questions. And there's nowhere to hide. Your owner acknowledged that all these things were happening with his tweet, right? Like he mm-hmm. publicly acknowledged it. Had he not done that, by the way, and had they not done the public acknowledgement with this weird statement that they did, they could have just always leaked everything to Shams this whole time as they were doing before and Woj and all these other guys and just and and then just come out on media and be like this never even happened this was mm-hmm. also media narrative that was way overblown which would have been fake but at least the, you would have had some sort of something to stand behind right and now mm-hmm. the fact that your owner and your front office has basically acknowledged that all these trade requests and these rumors have been true this entire time where do you hide and i and i know that it, it it's almost impossible to turn it against the media but i still feel like the way that this team has operated and the way that kevin durant and kyrie irving operate which is it's the media against us all the time they'll find a way to flip it and i just can't wait to see how they're going to try and this is probably it's just so weird because think about the other moves that they're making like like while this is going on and while the stuff behind the scenes is just crazy and not sure what's going to happen with kyrie not sure what's going to happen kitty it's like oh we're going to give up a first for royce o'neill we're going to go sign TJ right. Warren. It's very strange that they were operating under the assumption. It seems like they were going to continue to contend and continue to build around uh, their core. So it they've just had such a weird offseason because I look at this group and you look at, they probably need another big. That's like mm-hmm. something that stands out. Like Claxton, I like a lot. But I mean, Sharp, we'll see if he's a backup five. And Katie can obviously play backup five. And um, that and it looks like the report today, Ben Simmons might even start at the five. Maybe that's what they, they try and do. But that's uh, we'll, we'll see uh, how much yeah, Ben Simmons wants second. to do that. Can we also just see Ben Simmons play basketball for a little bit before we start penciling him in? It's like, yeah, I'll just be the Bruce Brown for you guys. Position, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, that's a TBD. But you look at it, Kyrie, Patty, Cam Thomas, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, TJ Warren, um, Royce O'Neal, KD, um, Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton, like that's a pretty deep team. And it's a deep team of mostly vets who you can count on, who you would assume KD and Kyrie would trust and like, and it's eight or it's eight, nine, ten deep that you feel pretty good about. Like, I just I like that Katie is staying in Brooklyn because the East is far more interesting now. Like, I think the Boston stuff was fascinating. And I think that that was probably the most intriguing trade option for Katie just because of. I mean, Boston having to kind of <laughs> the the ultimate question of like, well, Tatum and Katie beating them four times in a seven game series seems pretty, pretty unlikely for a lot of teams in this league. If they're both healthy, like that's just a really hard thing to stop that level of firepower for uh, a healthy run from the two of them. We also just got to the finals uh, with this core, but then you go back the other way. Like I just imagine Brad Stevens just pacing around his office and being like, I mean, we were 500 uh, in February. Like this was not a great situation. And we were, were almost at a point where we have to trade somebody because this was not working. Is that really who we were? Is it a Hawk situation where it's like, oh, we just got hot at the right time and we made the Eastern Conference finals? Let's run it back. We're fine. Um, we'll just get right back to the NBA finals next year. That was so fascinating to me because I can understand it from so many different angles. But now that Katie is there and Boston's running it back with this group, Miami's not going anywhere. And we'll get to them in a second. The Sixers have reloaded. I think they're better and probably have the best chance of being the number one seed going into the uh, NBA playoffs next year. 
I just go up and down the list where I'm like, the East is wide open. And there are so many cases to be made for so many different teams, right? There is. And, and to your point about Brooklyn, I really like their depth. I kind of mm-hmm. like how they somehow managed to deepen their team while all this Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving stuff was happening. Um, you're right. They probably needed a backup center, but that's it. Uh, I I do wonder if Boston ends up regretting not doing this trade at some point because we're already getting the rumblings that Jalen Brown could end up being unhappy in Boston at some point. And Jalen Brown is, let's call him a, a um, an independent thinker. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, he's not quite the flat earther that, that Kyrie Irving is, but he, he is somebody who considers himself a little bit of a maverick in a, in a sense that he doesn't want to go with trends and that he's willing to kind of make his own path. And that's sort of always been part of his identity. I'm he's not knocking him for that, too, by the way. I think. Isn't he What's a Kanye that? guy? He's a big Kanye guy. Yes. Yeah. He's and uh and so if Kanye gets in his <laughs> ear one day and is just in a mood where he says, you know what, you should not be in Boston. Mm. Jalen Brown wants to listen to him. Who knows? But um, yeah, I don't I, I do wonder if a couple years from now, when Jalen Brown is entering free agency, if Boston turns around and like, wait, this guy's gonna leave us, and we could have dealt him a couple years ago for Kevin Durant, and we never mm. got back to the NBA finals because hey, by the way, Brooklyn got good. And KD and Kyrie Irving figured it out or Philadelphia finally figured it out and got all the way to the finals and Joel Embiid became MVP and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we had this opportunity right in front of us to go ahead and win a championship. There's a world where that happens. And I do wonder um, if if maybe we're going down that path, because even two years from now or even a year from now, I mean, Kevin Durant is going into his age 34 season. We all know that. And that's why it was so kind of hard to trade for him. Um but you would still rather have 34-year-old Kevin Durant coming off of a season where he was averaging 30 points a game than 36-year-old Kevin Durant. And I like if if Jalen Brown tells the Celtics front office, hey, like I'm out of here, or if they get the sense that he's out of there, and then you try to come back and make this trade down the line, I don't think you can do it. Number one, I don't know if Brooklyn is up, is open to Kevin Durant trades the way that they just were. And and two, is Kevin Durant going to be that same player uh, a year and two years from now? I don't know. And so uh yeah i i I do wonder if boston is going to turn around and just think boy we we really kind of messed that up because golden state was in the finals they lost to cleveland and they went ahead and made the kevin durant acquisition Mm -hmm. it didn't cost them anything they were just able to sign him so there's that it just cost him harrison barnes so i shouldn't say anything harrison barnes was a good player for them but um you know and, and so it's a little bit different for boston where you have to give out give up one of your core young pieces but but still, like just because you made it to the finals does not mean you can't improve your roster in a dramatic way. And and maybe this was the opportunity for the Celtics to do that and they missed it. I am right there with you. Um, but I also understand of like, I don't want to bring Katie, the Katie that we know now also behind that. the scenes into the building. Like, I understand that part of it, too, of just yeah. like, do we really want to bring Katie into the building? Like, we now know how this is going to go behind the scenes and it's not going to be roses. Like, it's is yeah. it worth it to get a title? with Katie and Jason Tatum, even if it means just <laughs> maybe some really uncomfortable, just stressful couple years of the two of them together. Like what is it worth it? Is right, it, right. I, I don't know. Like, that's yeah, I'm, not, I'm not knocking at. Boston for not doing it. I'm just saying like there's, yeah. it was a tough decision for a reason. Right. Yes. And, and um, you know, if you were willing to, the, the, the part that baffles me is if you were willing to include Jalen Brown, that to me would have been the part that I would have pushed back against, but it sounds like the reporting around this and who knows how accurate it was, was that, Hey, we'll give you Jalen Brown, but we're not going to give up Marcus smart. We'll give you like a smaller piece for that uh, in return. Cause we're not going to give up two of our core pieces, which I get again, I understand yeah. it, but 
Um, if you are, if you were already willing to give up Jalen Brown, like why was the hang up? Marcus Brad Stevens Smart, just you know? really just, loves Marcus Smart. He really does, man. I don't mm-hmm. know. It just seems weird. I mean, maybe it's a chemistry thing where it's just like he's the heart and soul and it's just like we're too that's too rocky for us to to bring in Katie and move on from Marcus Smart. Like that's that's just too much. Like, I mean, I look at that right now in Atlanta. I mean, DeJounte is showing a completely different side of DeJounte Murray this summer that uh, nobody had seen in San Antonio. And you're like, oh. How does this work with DeJounte yeah. and Trey where it's like, what if he's just been like, I'm the leader and I'm the alpha and this is in Trey. He's going to just look at Trey in game 12 and be like, hey, um, why aren't you off ball? I-, I need you in the corner, Trey. I need you to go go over there and uh, I'll feed you when I can. Like, how does that work? We d- we don't know because a lot of these uh, superstars where I think it's a respect thing. You can tell that there's just certain guys that like, oh, I've played against them or I've seen them like they're good. I respect them. I'll do this for this kind of player. It sounds good in theory. And then you put them together and then the minutes start adding up and you're like, oh, I I don't know. This was I respect this game, but I don't like what I'm now having to actually do to make this all work. And it was like one of those. You just have to play it out. So all these Hawks fans who are like, oh, I can't wait to talk to all star guards. It's like, it's great. Yeah, it could work. Like, it could be fine. Trey's also had a 30 plus percent usage forever. And he's mm-hmm. never played with a guard with a 30 plus percent usage. And DeJounte Murray, like, he's never been asked to do any of this. Um, this is going to be tough. Like, there's this is going to be extremely mercurial. And I could go to- two different ways. Like, either this right. ends with them working and maybe an Eastern Conference finalist appearance again in the next two years. Or Trey's gone because this goes completely off the rails trey hates it the organization has to back one of the two they don't want to play with each other because it just doesn't work like this is the nba that's how it works like either this works really well or trey's out and he hates all of this and he's like y'all screwed me y'all did whatever like that's just how it goes yeah there's no middle version of this where they're just sort of a bubble team for a while and everybody's just copacetic like that doesn't exist and Mm -mm. um yeah like it goes one of two ways you're exactly right the worst version of it it's sort of what we just saw happen in la with lebron and russell westbrook Mm -hmm. where like you said russell westbrook they there's mutual respect between the two players but then they get together and like you know what i'm not i'm i'm not gonna screen for this guy are you kidding me Mm -hmm. it's just not gonna happen and then the other version of it is sort of what lebron had with Dwayne wade in miami where it took about a year for them to figure it out but they've ultimately figure it out and Wade took mm-hmm. a, a step back for LeBron. And there's been other versions of that too. But um, what I'm really excited about is for the Hawks fans online to start just desperately defending their backcourt. Um, mm. Like where everybody's like, clearly this is not working, right? Like if this were the case where it's where it's just, it's a little rocky and raw and we, they're just, they quite can't figure it out. And if that's the case for Hawks fans, just be like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. They're the perfect fit together. Why would you ever bash them? Because people love fans love to defend backcourts. Like mm. you, we just saw that with Portland. They defended Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum for years. And good, you're fans. That's what you're supposed to do. You got to do it. And they did a really good job of it. And then ultimately, what had happened? They never won a championship and they had to split them up. That's just what's going to happen. And I do have the guards in DC it. with Beal and Wall for years. Same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it's the best backcourt in the league. You guys don't know what you're talking about. We're on our way to a championship. We just need to get three other players who can do anything. And that never happened. And so I it, I, I wonder if that's sort of where we're going down with Atlanta because on paper, like I understand the fit, but you're right. The fact that they're both high usage and so young, yeah, right? Like they're so young. I don't know if they're going to be ready to take step steps back it would be better if one of them was a vet it would be better if one of them was like had been in like eight or nine years right like lebron and d wade who we just Mm -hmm. like like they were 
28, 29, 30 years old when that was happening. And so they, D-Wade had already won an, a, a championship. LeBron yes. had already ascended to the, be the best player in the league and, and had all the accolades and all these things. And, and so that made more sense. But it's so hard for young players to do it because they're still sort of like DeJounte Murray just made his first all-star game. You think he yep. wants that to be his last all-star game? No way. He's trying to make more of them. Uh, Trey Young wants to be the best player and the best point guard in the league. Right. And he's on track to maybe be that who knows. And so, um, yeah, like it's going to be hard still a business. And it's like, yeah. yeah, they can say like championship, 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 we'll do whatever it takes to sacrifice. It's like 23 and you're just like, like you said, your first all-star game and like where contracts depend on all NBA appearances and yes. bonuses and more money. And like, mm, there's uh, there are some business aspects to this that dr- may drive you more. It's like, yeah, we it'd be cool to get a ring, but it would also be cool to just get that extra whatever million uh, right. by being the kind of player that I want to be on the floor, even if it means we're not contenders like that is that's a reality. But I also I think. There's going to be a buffer, I will tell you, on the Hawks stuff, where the buffer will be Nate, who uh, has been very bad at rotations and is not going... I don't think he's going to stagger uh, DeJounte and Trey first. So the first pillar will be... Because like the, the final thing with the Hawks is going to be the next coach. So I, I just don't... like. I'm going to reserve judgment until mm-hmm. a young coach comes in or whoever, a right. more innovative coach who can who i'm more i have a bigger belief in maximizing in yeka and kongwu dejounte murray deandre hunter and uh, trey young but i think we're going to see that immediately like you're going to see on twitter where it's like oh my god he's pulling dejounte and trey out again and it just you're going to see that early because he he does he loves all bench lineups like that's one of nate's things he loves all bench lineups and the numbers back that up and i think that will just be one of the early things where it's like you got to stop like every media session when hey what was the thinking of uh the six minutes where trey and Dejounte were both sitting like that's rule number one <laughs> is stagger them for the whole game there's really no reason for at least one of them to uh be on the floor at all at any given time right and then after that we'll see but I don't know. I at the same time, it's still exciting, right? Like it's cool to have two All NBA guards in your backcourt, and it's the Hawks. Like there, there's no history for this. There's no history of two All NBA guys, and I mean, you just stumble into a top five offense with Trey. Like Trey is that good yep. now, where I just don't see a, K, a way for the offense to not still be one of the league's best. It's just more of like, are they going to be happy off the court? Are they going to be happy with their personalities? Where I. Trey's not surrendering uh, the lead guard role and DeJounte's like, well, I'm not really a spot up shooter, so I need to create and I need to, I'm not just going to be the guy who just does everything on defense and grinds and grinds and grinds. And also just like, I'm not going to be your Marcus smart. That's not going to be what this is going to be for me. Right. No. And I think like, if this is going to work, it's going to get Trey young off the ball a little bit more. And so Mm. this is one of the things that we've been talking about with Trey young is like the next part of his evolution is to get off the ball a little bit yeah. and, and sort of lean into that catch and shoot ability that he has, but that he hasn't really been able to tap into because they don't really have another ball handler. And so on one hand, it's like, well, you have another ball handler on the roster. And we're talking about how that's a bad thing because it's like the only one basketball argument. But on the other hand, didn't you want somebody else that can handle the ball a little bit more and get Trey Young off the ball more often? And so that would be the case for that. I'm sure they're going to have to stagger their minutes at some point. We'll see if Nate McMillan ends up doing it or not. But there's also... Like you also want them playing together quite a bit because in crunch time, they're going to have to know how to play off of each other. And obviously there's a way to do that. First and fourth quarters, they play together. Second, third quarters, you stagger them. Done. That's how most of those rotation patterns work. So, um, yeah, it's just sort of 
it's not that the basketball fit is bad, right? We almost mm. kind of go to this whole, you know, part where if you have like three really good players, all of a sudden, no matter what the players are, we all, we all start talking about, well, how are they going to fit one basketball, this whole thing? It's like, all right, I understand that maybe it's going to be a little clunky, but wouldn't you rather have those like two or three really good players as opposed to just one really good player and then just like four or five mediocre players? Yeah, obviously, if you look at teams that win championships, they have the really good players on them. Uh, and that's just sort of the rule. Um, but so on paper, it makes sense. But what is interesting is the, the personality part. That's why we saw Chris Paul and Devin Booker work because Chris Paul was just like, yo, I'm just here. Pay me. I want to be in a winning team and I want to go try to win a championship. And I'm going to elevate Devin Booker and DeAndre and all these other guys. That's why that partnership worked. Um, the personality thing is going to be so interesting. They almost have to go into this and just be like, hey, I scratch your back. You scratch mine. Let's just be the best backcourt instead of just being the best individual players. And if if you're Nate McMillan, that's almost the message that you have to send is you guys could go be the best backcourt in the NBA. And if you do that, all those individual accolades will come and you're going to win more than you ever have. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. That's the whole thing. It's, it That is entirely possible. But like we've said, there's no middle ground here. Either this no. goes really well or this implodes and the Hawks are without both of these guys three years from now. <laughs> um, that's just NBA. That's where we're at. Um, I was not expecting to talk to some Hawks, but it's fun. Uh, and I had to just have some Hawks optimism uh, yeah. after what the Heat did in uh, round one this past year. Sorry about um, that. My question to you about the Knicks, though, and then we'll get some Heat stuff in here where because this is something that we're not talking about because we were talking about the east and now that mm-hmm. ke is staying in uh staying ostensibly for another year in brooklyn that's a team that we were like gonna maybe pencil out for the playoffs like we're like all right brooklyn's probably not a playoff team um if they make these moves and they blow it up probably not now they're very much a playoff team kyrie irving kevin durant and ben simmons are going to make the playoffs this is a playoff team um probably a four or five seed if i had to look at it right now if i had to guess but let's just say that like the mitchell stuff's probably going to happen like the latest report is like the jazz would like rj barrett and stuff and you're like all right they're just they're (laughs) this is happening and they're just publicly like sit just feeling each other out on like what the final offer is going to be between ainge and uh and leon rose right so we can just move on and say that's going to happen okay brunson and mitchell quentin grimes mitchell robinson you look at this next team. Are we sure that's a playoff team in the East? And I know that sounds crazy on the surface, but now that Brooklyn's there, let's just go through the list right now. Yeah. Are the Knicks better than the Bulls next year, even with Mitchell and Brunson? I don't know. I really have no idea what to make of the Bulls, um, but that's sort of what we're talking. I think that's sort of in the area, right? Is, yeah. is sort of that Bulls area, just sort of right on the cusp. Okay, so that's one. Yeah, and we're are we in agreement that the Bulls are probably a playoff team next year? Probably. Yeah, probably. There's so some there's weird one. injury stuff with them, but who yeah. knows? Yeah, the Nets. Uh, you said fourth or fifth. I think they're probably going to be in the second or third kind of area. So yeah, I think I think Brooklyn I would say is... second or third if I was under the assumption that the big three are going to play eighty or seventy to eighty games. I think Kyrie's playing sixty right. forever. I think he's done. Yeah. I think Kyrie is done with more than sixty games. The fact that that got out like the contract stuff where he wants like sixty two games in his contract or something. Right. I don't. I think he's out. Like that. The one thing I'll say playing. with Kyrie is it is a contract year for him. And so does he just sort of give it all for one more year and then gets that contract 
maybe he plays 78 games this year. And he's like, what are you guys talking about? Like, it was just the COVID thing from a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. I'm a baller. I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be out on the court whenever I can. And they're just like, yeah, you know what? You're right, Kyrie. We had a nice season. You were out there. Forget the games played guarantee in the contract. We don't need mm-hmm. it. And then, boom, 40 games a year after that. That I can see, too. Goodness yeah. gracious. So we'll we'll throw in the nets there, too. Yeah. The Bucks, obviously, right? Like the yeah. Bucks are obviously in. So that's three. The Heat, yep. I think, are obviously in. That's four. Um, the really? Sixers, I yeah. think, are obviously in. Yeah. That's five. Mm-hmm. Then it's uh, the Celtics, uh, another one, obviously mm-hmm. in. So that's six right there, obviously in. That's now in play-in territory for the Knicks, even if you make the big splash for um, for Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson. You're going to be fighting for your life against the Raptors, the Hawks, the uh, Cavs. Like, yeah. those, those three... I, I mean, there is no guarantee the Knicks are a playoff team, even if they trade for Brunson or they trade for Mitchell and sign Brunson. Like, isn't that wild? Like the East is so top heavy and so loaded through like nine to 10 teams that I'm like, that's kind of wild that you could make you could sign Jalen Brunson, who was a really important, great player for the Mavs this past year and trade for top 20 player in Donovan Mitchell and still look at the landscape of the East and be like, hmm. I, I'm having to squint a little bit to see if the Knicks are for sure not a play-in team. Like that will be that. I mean, that's a an amazing situation for the NBA if we have a play-in situation where it's Hawks Knicks based on the fuck Trey Young stuff and everything right. like that would be in tremendous television if we have a situation like that. But that is a real real scenario here. It is. Um, I think part of it is that the fit isn't great. And now I'm not one of these people mm. that say you can't trade for Donovan Mitchell. Because you already have Jalen Brunson, to me, if you're the Knicks, that makes zero sense. Just go get the super talented players and then mm. figure it out, right? Like, fit is a, a first-world problem, and the Knicks right now are not a first-world organization, right? Like, that is not a thing that they need to worry about. Just go get the talent, figure it out later. Um, but, yeah, it's a little weird. Look, I am i don't know if I'm ready to write in Chicago, but, like, Toronto, to me, that's an obvious playoff team. Uh, and so once you get past that first six or seven yeah you're just in playing range and based on the playing tournament you might not make the playoffs if you make the playing tournament right uh i think orlando is going to be kind of sneaky good like who knows they could surprise people with paolo bencaro and and some of the depth that they have I, I who and they have players who are sort of primed to make some leaps um based on their career arcs and so uh the cleveland thing i wonder if sort of the novelty of the three big lineup sort of wears off and people kind of figure them out the way that I know Jared Allen got hurt late in the year and that that really hurt them, but it did also feel like a little bit that they were figured out um, as the year went on. So I, I think the Knicks are right there, but to your point, it's a good one. I hadn't thought about it like that. Like you get two all-star caliber players on your team and and you're still just sort of like, meh, might make the playoffs. Like you were yeah. just in that might make the playoff range. Um, does Julius Randle have a bounce back here? You got to imagine it can't get worse, but who knows? Um, I like it some of the other moves. Not like as I much like pressure, right? Like he's not the guy. Like it, that that should help. Yeah, and if you if you're able to like keep R.J. Barrett in that deal, which who knows, mm. it, uh, and he takes a leap, then you're really talking about something there. Um, I like the Isaiah Hartenstein addition that they made, so that's nice. But that's not a guy that like carries you to playoffs, obviously. Mm. So I don't know. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna have guys who could play offense. Can Tom Thibodeau get enough of that defense where you're able to make up with some of the the deficiencies that you have with a smaller backcourt and things like that? 
possibly. But uh, yeah, it's just it's crazy. Uh, I would not pencil in the Knicks in the playoffs at all. Like I would not assume that they make the playoffs. It's wild time. Sorry, Knicks fans, but hey, it, at least it's fun. Like, I think that's yeah. a guarantee thing where Mike Breen and Clyde will have a fun time uh, calling Donovan Mitchell and uh, Jalen Brunson games in New York at the very least. Um, Miami, though, team you're mm. quite familiar with, Wes. Um, I have a couple of questions for you about Miami right now. How wise is it to expect the heat to keep this thing humming as a collective unit without any changes. We talked about the Celtics and why they had to at least think about it. And we see just continuity, 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 but they are still dipping their toes in other guys. They're, they're seeing like, Oh, what's the KD offer look like? What can we do? Like we're Pat Riley and company are always looking at their options, but also totally content with where they're at. But I just think of it is so interesting because so much has been asked of Jimmy the last couple of years and he has burned a lot of, a lot of rubber, a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of minutes in Miami. And I, I love Jimmy to death and I look at this team and I just wonder they're going to basically run it back with the same guys. This is the same core, the same pieces, like not even just same core, same depth, same rotation guys like this is going to look yeah. nearly identical to the team that was right there once again uh, at just at the precipice of making the NBA finals. But we just don't see this very often where you make, you build off the bubble, you go to the NBA finals in the bubble. And then you don't like ever since we, we just haven't seen the fall off yet of just the mileage catching up to Miami. It just hasn't happened. Do you, do you start to wonder if it's this year where that starts to that, that balance becomes due in Miami? Yeah. That to me is sort of the overwhelming sentiment with the heat is it just sort of feels like at some point the limping just turns into falling over, right? Yep. Where you, you just, you're limping to the finals over and over and over. Yeah. Jimmy <laughs> Butler bent over and you're the stanchion. Yeah. Just like at some point the wheels just got to come off. Right. Um, and I don't know, Jimmy Butler has mastered the art of, of saving it for the playoffs, right? Mm. Like the dude doesn't even take three pointers in the regular <laughs> season. And all of a sudden just starts doing them in the postseason. maybe mm. to save his legs. Who knows? Um, doesn't play 70 games in a year and hasn't, but for two times in his entire career. Um, so maybe that's part of it, but like they did lose PJ Tucker and that was a really big loss and it wasn't a big loss because PJ Tucker is so good and he is very Mm. good, but more because they didn't replace him. They don't have a real power forward on the roster right now. And, and they're projected to start Caleb Martin at the four. And I like Caleb Martin. He's a nice player, but he's six foot five and he's not a power forward. At not even a little bit. And so I, I don't know where they go. To me, it's this is a team that is ripe to make a move. And everything that they have said, you're right. Like, it's just sort of weird that, they sta- that, that they've been standing pat. But they've been standing pat in order to sort of gather their chips in, in anticipation of moving those chips into the middle of the table in some sort of all-in move. And they tried to do it with KD. They kicked the tires on Donovan Mitchell, realized that they were not going to get close to what the Knicks were offering because they simply cannot. They don't have the draft picks or the capital or the asset base. Um, They're also just not that desperate. (laughs) And they're also not that desperate. Uh, But they are desperate to a degree to add a star. Like everything Hmm. they have done has telegraphed the fact that this front office believes that they need a co-star next to Jimmy Butler. That Bam Adebayo is not that player. That Tyler Hero is not that player yet and may never become that player. Um, but and that they are looking to maximize this championship window um, that Jimmy Butler right now is propping open with basically one arm and a broken leg. And uh, it's 
it, it to me is a little it is baffling because I don't know that we've ever seen a team get that close to the finals uh, two years removed from being in the finals and feel like that they're not and still sort of operate as a team that wasn't a shot away mm. from making the NBA finals. Like they're operating like Philadelphia was the team operating like they were that team this this offseason where, yeah, knock the P.J. Tucker contract. But whatever, if it leads you to a championship, I don't care if you're paying him $10 million when he's four years old. You You got to the finals. They're making they're trading draft picks for for depth players on draft night. Like the Heat kept all their draft picks. They they let PJ Tucker walk so that they can maintain cap flexibility. Uh, and they're just they're operating as if they were so much further away that they are a star away from getting to where they want to go. Which me, leads me to believe that this front office didn't really buy into the the run last year. That they mm. don't really believe that they're the team that they were last season. That that they're that desperate to get a superstar that they would be willing to take the step back that they have. Um, and it's not, again, I don't mean to over uh, overstate like just losing PJ Tucker. Like this is a team that can make a trade in the middle of the season, get a starting caliber power forward. And, and, and you're just sort of rolling with what you had last year, but Brooklyn's going to be better than they were last year. Like that was the nightmare worst case scenario for the Nets last season, just based on regression to the mean, it'll be a better season for the Nets next year. Boston's not going anywhere. Milwaukee's not going anywhere. Philadelphia got better. Atlanta presumably got better. The Knicks are getting marginally better, uh, I guess. And so you're you're the Heat. You haven't really improved your team. Everybody else is improving around you. That's a step back. And um, and I just wonder, like, what's going to give, right? Like, mm-hmm. are you going to go fully into the Bam Adebayo Tyler Hero window of this thing and just say, you know what, whatever we do with Jimmy Butler is what we do, and and, and we're fine with it. Um, or do you start making moves with these draft picks? Are you are you or are you going to just still wait for some other superstar to shake loose and make another run at that superstar? Where it was very obvious that these last this last round of superstar trades, you didn't have enough stuff to go get those guys. And so, are you going to hold on to your limited amount of resources anyway, and 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 potentially waste this opportunity? I don't know. It, it's a it's a crazy predicament that the Heat front office is in. But just based on their actions, it, it feels like they're waiting for another shot at another superstar. Do you think they call the Lakers about AD and LeBron with Bam and Hero and company? I wonder if they would call about Anthony Davis. Right? Uh, I just don't know what it would cost. Like, would you really part with Bam out of bio for Anthony Davis, given that the that Bam is like, what, five years younger and, mm. and much less injury prone? Like, that's a tough deal to make. And that, again, like you had Kevin Durant right there in front of you, and you weren't willing to part with Bam Adebayo for Kevin Durant. It reminds me of the Kevin Durant-Jalen Brown thing. Right. And it's like, so if you're not going to trade Bam for KD, who is a clear, like, that guy, if you put KD and Jimmy Butler together, there is a way to maybe figure it out. Now, yeah, you have two older players with some injury, some some complicated injury history that would be troublesome and, and stuff like that, and one injury and you're done. Like, you have no depth anymore, and Bam is the fulcrum of that defense. But... I don't know. Like, if you didn't move Bam for KD, you're not gonna. I, I I see a hard. I have a hard time seeing Pat Riley moving Bam for for Anthony Davis. Well, speaking of Bam, like this is also something to monitor, right? Like, do we just assume he and Hero are just happy with their roles and what they're asked to do in this Miami offense year over year? Like, are we just assuming that they're gonna be fine with just how they're used in Miami for another year? What it, what would be your guess on how they see their roles and how likely they are to be happy for another full year in Miami. I think Bam's good. 
Bam's okay. happy with his role. I, I have no issues with that. Um, no concerns. Uh, the Tyler Hero thing is interesting because he basically said at the end of the season press conference that he expects to start next year, that he feels that he has already earned that starting job. And then Pat Riley spoke like a week or two after that and was like, you haven't earned it, basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, mm. but said that he has to get much better on defense and all these other things. And so Tyler Hero is going to have to win that starting shooting guard spot in training camp. Hmm. And and I do think that there's a decent amount of pressure being applied to Miami's front office for Tyler Hero to start. And I also think that there's a motivation by my, Miami's coaching staff in front office to see what it looks like for Tyler Hero to start at the two guard. But if Tyler's not starting next year and he's coming off the bench again, that's something that would be a concern if you're the Heat's front office because you want to keep this guy happy and he he clearly wants to start. He has been very public about that. He's told me that like on one-on-one interviews multiple times, as well mm-hmm. as other reporters and and people in the media. So um, he hasn't been shy about it. And I do wonder, like, if the Heat don't give him that opportunity, does he start to look for that opportunity elsewhere? He's also due for an extension before the mm-hmm. start of the season. All indications are that they will give him that extension. That's going to pay him somewhere around twenty million dollars a year, or north even of that. All right, you're going to bring that guy off your bench? No, you're not. At some point, the $20 million a year player is going to start for you. And so I think we're just – all the stars are aligning for Tyler Hero to start. So that, to me, is less of a concern. The biggest concern is what does that look like because they tried starting him a couple years ago, granted at the point guard position over Goran Dragic. Within two weeks, he basically failed the exam, and he went back to the bench, and Goran Dragic went back into the starting lineup. I think the the op, with Kyle Lowry there, he's not going to take his spot there. But I think he's a two guard. I think they're pretty. I think that's been pretty obvious. But what does that look like next to a ball dominant player like Jimmy Butler? Next to a guy like Bam Adebayo who still needs to get his touches and probably needs to get more touches than he has over the last couple of years. Kyle Lowry, who's still the, the traditional type of point guard, who's going to be running offense for you. What does that all look like? We'll see. But that's sort of the next step in Tyler Hero's development is is just sort of figuring out how to play alongside those guys and not just being this sort of Lou Williams style sixth man who when the starters are off the court he can float your offense for a few minutes he's gonna have to learn to play next to those guys um, as much as the Heat's coaching staff is gonna have to trust him with that starting spot you mentioned Larry too I think Larry and Oladipo fall into this category together where I'm kind of curious for different reasons where Kyle Lowry obviously not healthy when they needed him to be healthy uh, last year. And you look at his age, you look at just the more wear and tear on Kyle Lowry's body. Um, Great player, but Lowry was supposed to be like that kind (laughs) of guy to make life easier for Jimmy in the playoffs. Like the whole point was like, come playoff time, like we'll conserve Kyle Lowry, come playoff time, he'll be ready to go. And then right away in the Hawks series. And I mean, that could have gone a different way uh, if the Hawks were in a little bit better position where it's like, oh, we don't have Kyle Lowry and we need him um, in this series against Trey and company. But um, now you have another year. He's a year older. Like, would you guess Miami's feeling good about their Kyle Lowry investment at this point? Like that was kind of, and he's kind of just seemingly overlooked in all of this. Is this that like, we talk about star chasing in Miami and I mean, they were looking as like, we got to the finals with just what we had. Like we talked about two years ago and you're like, well, Kyle Lowry should be like this Lowry, Bam and Jimmy Butler and just our depth. That's a pretty, pretty good group of guys who can win the East. Like that's a pretty good group. We should, we feel pretty good about what we've assembled there. Um, I don't know. Like, is this, is it time to panic on the Kyle Lowry stuff and just, that he deserves a lot more kind of 
or maybe the front office deserves more criticism for investing in Lowry at this point. And that was just like, now you're kind of stuck for a little bit because Kyle Lowry is not really tradable either. So about a year ago, I bought this stock. It's a, it's a medical company stock. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing the stock market stuff. Okay. And um, I felt really good about it. I felt really good about it. And ever since I bought that stock, I've lost probably 50% of my money on that stock. Oh, no. And uh, And so it's not doing very hot. But I won't sell it. Mm. I won't sell it because what's the point? What's the point? I already lost 50% of my money. What's the difference? You know, I'm just going to hold on to it and hope that it bounces back. And by the way, as soon as it gets back to anywhere close to what I bought it at, I'm selling it. I'm getting (laughs) out of it. I'm selling it. And I'm getting Mm -hmm. as close to my money back as possible. That's where I think the heat are with Kyle Lowry. I Mm. think the heat invested in Kyle Lowry, hoping that they were going to get one thing. Immediately, it turned out to not be that thing, you know. Uh, Kyle Lowry, that first season in Miami, I don't know how you view that than anything other than a disappointment. It was a mm-hmm. disappointment. Um, but can you get a little bit healthier? Pat Riley challenged him at, at his end-of-season press conference to get into world-class shape. I think Kyle Lowry heard that message. We've seen the videos and the Instagram pics of him looking ripped and all this <laughs> stuff. And by the way, just this is a pattern with Kyle Lowry. It's like every other year. In Toronto, it was get back in shape. You get in shape and then have an awesome season. And then the next year, you kind of get out of shape and then have a bad year. And then it was just sort of this on-off thing with him. And I think we're already, I think that's just sort of his MO. And I think we're going to see that in Miami. But as soon as Kyle Lowry starts to rebuild some of that value, hmm. I could see Miami maybe exploring trying to trade him to get something back. Or maybe the way that that pops is, hey, we get one more good year out of him. If he's better than he was last year, if he could sort of be the running mate next to Jimmy Butler that we hoped he could be, then maybe all of a sudden this need for a second sort of all-star player goes away because Kyle Lowry is going to be that player. We maximize the championship window. Maybe we get back to the NBA Finals. And then at that point, Kyle Lowry is an expiring contract going into next year that you can more easily flip as opposed Mm -hmm. to a player with two years left on his deal. So I think that's sort of where Miami is, is they're just hoping for one more good run out of Kyle Lowry, just like I'm hoping for like one more good run out of that stock. And then we'll, then you just sort of figure it out at its highest point of value. That's interesting. Is there any, like, what would you guess the odds of Victor Oladipo coming, getting close to what his, like just being in the Miami system, coming back and just seeing what was out there and being like, all right, like he, he's just so fascinating. I, I, Part of it for me is just that, like, I can never let go the 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 Pacers first round series against Miami or Cleveland years ago, and just seeing what I saw, and I've just been a Victor guy forever. That I'm like, hmm, that it took a lot for him to be like, hey, you're not in the rotation, but we might need you in the rotation with injuries or something else. So just stay ready, and he stayed ready. Like, I think he deserves credit for kind of acquiescing to the Miami culture and just having to deal with the stuff that Duncan Robinson's like, uh, I think of the James Franco gif, like first time uh, <laughs> of just being out of the rotation and just being expected to be a starter. And then an important player right after that um, shout out to the coworker, Duncan Robinson over here at blue wire. But I, uh, I don't know. I think that's like something I, I wonder as you, you, with you being plugged into Miami, like, is there any hope or any expectation that Victor could actually play a significant role next year and that with a full offseason in Miami and just being healthy uh, could actually be a really big factor going into next year? I think that is the hope. I think that is the hope. I think going into last year, they sort of viewed him as the X factor too. And even at the deadline Mm. where they didn't make any moves, they sort of viewed getting Oladipo back as the move that could sort of get them over the top in the Eastern Conference. And Mm. 
Vic, because of injuries and needs, did play a very important role for them in the playoffs. I just don't know that he can ever be... And by the way, they are very excited that he's getting a full summer and he's going to mm-hmm. have his first training camp with the Heat since they traded for him. This will be his yeah. first training camp. So he'll have an opportunity to sort of carve out a more meaningful role and they'll be able to see, the coaching staff will be able to see sort of where they want to put him. Another reason why you move Tyler Hero into the starting lineup is sort of you free that six-man spot open for, for, for Vic. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the work that he's put in. I think he's really impressed the organization with how he's stayed ready and how he's sort of responded to the adversity that he's had to respond to. I think I, I don't think that could be overstated enough, but um, I, I don't know that it'll ever be – and he, he, he keeps saying, I can get back to all NBA. I can get back to being an all-star level, and I just don't know that that's in the cards for him. Not necessarily because the talent isn't there. I just don't know that that opportunity is there. I don't know that there's a team – the heat included that can just afford to be like, here's the keys, man. Let's see if you are still an all-star. Like what team is doing that for Victor Oladipo at this point? Like so much of this league is opportunity plus talent and it sort of equals production. Right. And mm-hmm. so um, I think he's talented, but also like last year we saw him sort of morph into a different player. He wasn't this, you know, all NBA defensive sort of stopper. I think he had moments on ball against Jalen Brown he got a bunch of steals, but also Jalen Brown just sort of gave up the ball a bunch of times too. So I think that was a little overstated to how well Depot was defending Jalen Brown in the conference finals. But I think he's a good defender. I think you're as a coaching staff, you trust him because he's a veteran and he has the track record and he he knows where to be and he's not bad at it. I just don't think he's all NBA the way that he was. And then offensively, he still has got that like slash and kick ability, but he's not he doesn't have that same first step. He doesn't have that same finishing ability. He's not the high flyer that he was before all these injuries. Um, and so I think he's just going to morph into a little bit of a different player. To me, this reminds me of sort of like late stage Andre Iguodala when he went from mm. sort of like even in Denver and then went to Golden State. Like, yeah, he was an all star in, in in Philadelphia, but maybe he was always sort of playing one class higher than he was in sort of the the tier of players. And he had that opportunity in Philly, showed out, put up a bunch of numbers, went to an all star game, but ultimately found his best value and I think will be known as a guy who played at like this sort of skeleton keys type of role that he just unlocked all these interesting lineups. And I could see him old Depot playing a similar role for Miami and then going forward in his career, whether it's with the heat or another team, like he's super versatile. He gives you a lot of things that you need. He's more than willing to take a shot, more than willing to put the ball on the floor and dribble and make things happen. And he's an earnest defender. And and I think all that stuff is really valuable. I just don't know that he's ever ever going to get that opportunity to be the player that he still thinks that he is. But if you could do that in a more condensed version with six man minutes, that's an extremely valuable player. And I think that's what the hope is for Miami is that what that's what they're going to get from Vic. And that's a really good like that's a really good option. That's a really that yeah. makes life a lot easier uh, for this Miami backcourt and kind of feeling out where things are going and like if injuries are part of. Next year, like, hey, Vic, a healthy Vic goes a long way, especially if that's his transition at this point in his career. Um, we'll end on this. Playing this game every week. Contenders or not? Because I'm getting, I get a lot of pushback on this, Wes, where <laughs> I've just, I've exited out. Like, it's not, I'm a no fun police. I enjoy right. watching the Memphis Grizzlies play basketball. I have also just X'd them off with this core. Uh, as a contender I, I don't think this is it's sustainable i don't think you're ever going to get 120 games out of jaron jackson and john Morant. i don't think you're right. ever going to get the the two of them healthy 
at the same time for the length that you need them both to be healthy to make this all work. Does that mean that they can't be fun and have a lot of straight playoff appearances, like an MVP for Jaw at some point, J- uh, Jaron Jackson still to be a really good player? Yeah. It's a bummer because I think Jaron Jackson and Jaw like have an unbelievable ceiling together if you just can be like NBA 2K and turn injuries off. But when you look at this group, because there are going to be, be people this offseason where it's like, who could win the West? I think there are going to be people who put the Grizzlies in the contender category like they can win the title next year do you put the grizzlies in the contender title next year well before i answer that so you're playing this game so have you already crossed off other teams as contenders yes is sort of a week uh, okay so what teams have you crossed off other than memphis uh the nets okay. i've crossed off like just the sustainability of the off the court stuff where i'm like no the, this I, I i won't do it uh the lakers i've crossed off okay, i don't think sure. they have the depth the lakers oh. have no path to their health like the, the depth's just gone like when you traded for russell westbrook that was it like the depth is over you you're not getting a hundred plus game like we've already seen it like ad and lebron in this group yeah. like they're not playing any two, like you're gonna when be Juan a anderson's your third best player you got a problem yeah, exactly like it's just not happening so they're out so a couple those are a couple of the big ones that i've already x'd out of like teams are gonna you're gonna see on the list who okay. can win the title next year and you're like oh these people are very confused that they're, they're not winning the title there's no path so I love John Morant. Mm-hmm. I would never say that the Grizzlies can't win without I, that dude has that it factor. He is dominant once he figures out that. And this was the thing that was a little bit maddening. I know he got hurt in the Golden State mm-hmm. series, but even before he got injured, like if you're a Grizzlies fan watching that series, like why was he taking 11 threes a game? Like that dude scored every time he was within five feet of the basket. Why? And and Golden State could do nothing to keep him from getting to within five feet of the basket. So I was just like, why aren't you doing that every single time? Uh, I think once John Morant sort of figures that part out of his game and it, it like, you know, what's he the best in the league at? It's the, it's that it's like him and Giannis basically like the two mm-hmm. guys that are most similar. And I guess Zion, if you were healthy, um, I like Desmond Bain a lot. I like the depth. Um, the one thing is the Jaron Jackson thing. And I, I I couldn't figure out why he was off limits in the Kevin Durant trade. If, if the Shams report was like that to me, was like a get out of jail free card for that. I agree like, with oh, wait, you 100%. We could just trade Jaron Jackson, yes. get out of this problem, get Kevin Durant, win a championship early in John Morant's yes. career. Kevin Durant retires into the sunset or whatever. And then you're we're just riding the fumes of that forever. Yeah. yeah. And you're Memphis. You have an opportunity. Like this whole, like, that's why that was a fake report. And I'm, I'm so yeah. annoyed with like this weird Intel kind of reporting thing that we do because like it comes out. Yeah. Memphis is, is a quiet contender for Kevin Durant, but they won't trade Desmond Bain or Jaron Jackson. It's like, well, it doesn't really feel like they're a contender because they're the not Hawks are a contender because they're they threw out John Collins and DeAndre Hunter. It's like, what? That, right. They're like, not a contender. But you're going to trade what Zaire Williams and Stephen yeah. Adams for Kevin Durant? Was that the plan? Was that mm-hmm. the offer you made? No, you were never a real contender for Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I wonder if Jaron Jackson can get healthy. We've seen it before. Guys like Steph Curry and Joel Embiid, where it's just like. It's just never going to happen. You can't picture them playing 17 games in a year, and then suddenly that they, they do. I wonder if that's still in the cards for Jaron Jackson. If he does, I won't rule it out. He's still really young. If he could stay healthy, I think John Morant's only going to continue to get better. Desmond Bain's awesome. They have a lot of depth, and they are, I think, one of these other teams that could, if they wanted to, make a move um, at the deadline that could bolster some of that stuff around those three guys. I'm not going to say that they're not contenders, but I probably wouldn't put them in the same tier as some of the the like the upper crust teams of the West right now. Jaron Jackson played 78 games last year. Mm-hmm. High career high for him. 
Then obviously mm-hmm. the rough injury, the playoffs gone until looks like January uh, around that time, late December, January for his return. And then it's just like he missed all the offseason. So just whatever he's going to be next year is just not going to be what it could be because you're getting Fair acclimated point. and thrown into the fire middle of the year. And maybe a, just a, it's just not going to happen. Like it just it's rough for him. Bad timing, everything for that. Four games in 2020-2021 started, uh, started 57 in 2019-2020 and 56 in 2018-2019. So we have four years. Yeah, of, I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not betting on him getting healthy and being like good to go. But, uh, but then you look at Jaw too, man. Yeah. Jaw played 67 yeah. his rookie year, 63 2020-2021 and 57 this past year. They should have made the Durant trade, man. Do you see what I'm saying? Like when people they throw them out, I'm like... Where are the games coming from? We've already seen like this is the time they should be playing all the games like they're young. This is it. Like if you're going to make the case like this is health is number one. Like that's an advantage of a young team is that they don't have the wear and tear and that right. they have the the bodies to do this. It's just I, I don't see it. Like, there's I, I just there's don't real it. chemistry between Jaron Jackson and John ja Morant yes. that I think will help carry them. And if they can get healthy and they are healthy by the time the playoffs roll around, I just think that Jaw is so good that you can't take them off the board. Mm. Like I'm not willing to cross them out, but I'm not putting any money on them either, right? Like it's just I just can't cross them off. I just can't do it. You're probably right. Um, I would be shocked if they were winning the championship this year, but um, I just can't. I can't do it. I can't do that to my guy Jaw. Can't do it. I mean, they bring in my dude Kennedy Chandler from Tennessee. Yeah, they're cool. Like I love everybody in this roster. I love how this team is built. And again, Grizzlies fans, like it's not a shot against you guys. It's just that like you've built your team around two guys that I just don't think are ever going to be healthy enough to make that deep of a run. That's why, like you said, they'd get out of jail free car with Kevin Durant where, I mean, maybe it's Bradley Beal. You look at it and you're like, hey, Washington's up. They want to create their own injury riddled twin towers with Jaron Jackson and Chris Tapps Brzingis. That's what they're aiming for. They're just going to create yeah. that. We'll give you Bradley Beal. And come. It's like, yeah, you do that immediately. Yeah. KD was perfect. It was a yeah. he, was, he played the right position. He was at the right point in his career, and, and John Morant was in the right point of his career. He would have been beloved in Memphis. Yep. And by the way, Memphis is a really cool city. It kind of gets mm. knocked as a small market NBA city. It's one of my favorite NBA cities. I love Memphis. It is a good time there, and the fans, mm. if you win, they love you. We just saw that with John Morant. They yep. love that guy. And you can sell jerseys. John Morant's a top ten, top five in jersey sales. Uh, yeah, you could be a you could be a dude there. Um, it's a it's a quick private jet to the northeast from Memphis if you still want to do your production stuff. Mm. Um, I don't know. It just that to me felt like uh, not to bring everything back to the Miami Heat, but when they were when they made the playoffs with that early Dwayne Wade team, it was D Wade, Karan Butler, Lamar Odom, Brian Grant, like a really cool feel good team, and Dwayne Wade was clearly ascending. And then they say, you know what, we have a chance with this young guy. Let's give him the pieces. We think he's ready right now to win a championship and. Going into D-Wade's second year, they traded for Shaq. They traded the young guy, Karan Butler, who they loved, and his upside. Traded him. Trey Lamar Odom, who they had just for, was the big free agent guy that they got the year before, had a great year for them, but with just one year, they traded him to, to the Lakers and all these other pieces and draft picks, by the way, too. And they went ahead and got Shaq. And Shaq was good for basically two years, basically a year and a half. But he was good for, for two years for them. And they what did they do? They won the championship in that second season. Probably could have won it in the first season had D-Wade not gotten hurt in in, in the playoffs. Um, won the championship that second year, and then basically Shaq falls off. The 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 con- He's way overpaid those last couple of years. Mm. They end up having to trade him to Phoenix for Sean Marion and other pieces and, and all this stuff. But 
you got a championship. But more importantly, you went from a sort of new team that didn't have much history to a team that all of a sudden was one of the rare NBA teams that has an NBA championship, that has champions on the roster with an ascending young star who's going to probably be a star for the next decade plus. All of a sudden, like if you trade, if you're the Grizzlies and you trade, you're just the Grizzlies. Nobody respects you. You didn't make the most out of the grit and grind era, even though it was fun for everybody involved. But like, you're just the Grizzlies. You're just a team, and you have a great player in John Morant. You can make make the Durant trade, go win a champ, put all the cards on the table, um, try to go win a championship, win a championship with KD. Yeah, maybe the third and fourth year of his contract don't look great, but you can flip him for something else, and now you're a championship organization. Now you're a team that has that cachet and that respectability in the league, and it just elevates you to a whole other plane. You start making money as an ownership group, and now you can start spending more money into the luxury tax, which is why they just traded all these players in the first place is because they don't make that much money relative to these other NBA teams. Like, I don't know. To me, I don't know if the Jaron Jackson thing was just enough to get it done, but that was a no-brainer for so many reasons. Like, why wouldn't you do that? I agree with you. Um, We'll see what happens, but uh, your final answer, contender – Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> Grizzlies. Con- you know what? Yeah, contender, yes, but like they would have been the favorite if they would have made the Durant trade, and isn't that the difference? That is true. Wes, what can the good folks check out from you across Locked on Heat, Locked on NBA, uh, RIP Substack? What can the good <laughs> folks look out from you? Subscribe to the Substack, westgoldberg.substack.com mm. for updates on what's going on with that. But yeah, listen to the podcast, Locked on Heat, Locked on NBA, every Thursday night slash Friday morning, um, and a whole bunch of other stuff coming there you go very excited uh to see what unfolds for you man and i will be reading and uh let's check back in again soon nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah